Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 20? Sort of a new era begins here for Israel. We have to keep in the back of our mind that this particular generation, this first generation that had come out of slavery in general are just a defeated generation. It's a story of murmurings and complainings of defeat and sadness and of course the judgment of physical death is upon the entire uh, congregation of Israel with regard to the older generation. And so while the judgment of God is being fulfilled in the wilderness that the generation, the first generation of leaving Egypt would die, it's also the time when Israel is being prepared, the next generation is being prepared for what uh, Israel will do when they come to the Jordan River finally after the death of Moses and then under the leadership of Joshua. So we have uh, here, this is a two-part, let me go back, this is a two-part uh, message from, from, from my perspective. We're going to look at chapter 20 tonight and then God willing chapter 21 next time from Kadesh to Moab. So here is the description of the incident at Meribah, uh, the place of contention, Meribah, um, bitter contention. And we come then to the death of Miriam. Miriam was, it was Moses' sister, older sister. Her life was significant in the story of Moses' life and in the uh, exodus of God's people. In the book of Exodus, as his older sister, of course, she took him and put him in the water. Then she was there to arrange for Moses' mother, his real mother, to be the nursemaid for Moses and even to receive pay for it. Uh, so she had a lot to do in the plan and purpose of God in the life of Moses. Then after the parting of the Red Sea, she, let, she, she showed to be a prophetess and a songstress in the sense that she led the praise of the women after they came across uh, the Dead Sea and she's uh, uh, through the Dead Sea. And obviously she was a favorite among the people. Her, her blemish is that she and Aaron, some few chapters back, led a rebellion maybe led or participated at least were strong voices in a rebellion against Moses uh, for which punishment came upon her. But now nothing else has been said until we get to this part. Uh, 
And it's a, it's a sad commentary and makes us realize that dying is, is part of living. And regardless of who you are, uh, the time comes. Here we are then in verse 1 of chapter 20. The entire congregation of the children or the sons of Israel, B'nai Israel, it's the sons of or the children of, arrived at the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people settled in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. This, of course, would have had a, an emotional effect on both Moses and Aaron, but the, the load of leadership was heavier on Moses than it was Aaron, especially thinking of what is to follow. Uh, emotions. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament especially to, to carefully divide in our lives the soul from the spirit. A lot of people think that soul and spirit are interchangeable. They're not really. There are three parts to a man. Physical, his body. Soul, his emotional state. His, um, his awareness of himself relative to his surroundings. And then his spirit the reality of God, and it is, of course, the Spirit that connects us to God. God gave the Spirit and takes it back. But when God created man and he breathed, he, uh, he, uh, he breathed, he spirited man's flesh. And when spirit came from God and entered into the clay, a third thing was formed, and that's the soul of, uh, of a man. In life, if we are careful to be as obedient, especially to New Testament teaching, as possible, we learn that our souls, our mental, our emotional state, states, can sin against us. We have to be careful there. Uh, so in that personal discipline, we have to be able to take whatever comes our way, yet still maintain discipline within our mental and emotional existence. And there's teaching for that, of course, in the, in the New Testament. I'm saying all that to say that Moses will have an emotional experience here. This was his older sister. You know she must have loved him dearly because she saved his life, being used of God to do so, remembers him when he was born, has been with him through all of this, and has that one blemish against her, but suffered punishment and thus was restored to the congregation. And now... She has died. Many others, I'm sure, have died to this point of that generation. But the, the reality of the judgment of God on this generation strikes, strikes hard and true in the two deaths, especially, that are recorded here in Numbers chapter 20. 
And so Miriam, a favorite of the congregation, uh, dies. And so there's a time for uh, her, her purification during the time that leads to the water from the rock. This is an important uh, uh, part. It's an, Im- it's an important element in the story of Moses here. Water from the rock. The congregation had no water. And so they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Here we go again. This is, an, this is a recurring thing in the book of Moses and the book of Moses. Well, he wrote them, but in the book of Numbers, as Moses had recorded it, namely that when something went wrong, even though God had more than provided every time there was a need, they, they were not learning the lessons of faith. And so their response always was to complain, was to murmur, and then to hold Moses principally and secondarily Aaron responsible for the plight which they thought they were facing. Verse 3, the people quarreled with Moses. They said, if only we had died with the death of our brothers before Yahweh. Now, I want you to understand. If a close family member of mine has just passed away and I am in a state of grief, it is not a good time to bring church trouble to me. It's just not. It may not end well, such as we're going to see here. Moses, quarreling with the people, listening to their complaint, telling him that they would be better off dead, Moses under the commission to take these people to the promised land now under judgment because of their unbelief when they came to the, to the brink of the land and cursed in that generation to wander for 40 years and for another 40 years having to feed them and take care of them and lead them and do everything that had to be done to keep these people on track for the ultimate goal of the land of Canaan. So they murmur and they complain in a harsh way. A man grieving. Why have you brought the congregation of Yahweh to this desert so that we and our livestock should die there? If they had believed the report of the two of the twelve... If they had in faith accepted all that Yahweh had said to them about that land, they wouldn't be in the desert. But it is the natural response of, a, of the natural heart of man to blame everybody else. 
and to blame the circumstances and to never assume responsibility for sin. They didn't do that. They're still complaining. Their unfaithfulness is the reason they are dying in the wilderness. Has nothing to do with Moses or Aaron and certainly doesn't have anything to do with the hand of Yahweh other than that Yahweh has judged them for their disobedience and their unfaithfulness. Why have you brought us to this desert? They brought themselves to the desert so that we and I, our livestock should die there. They brought the curse of death in that generation upon themselves. Why have you taken us out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place for seeds or fig trees or grapevines or pomegranate, pomegranate trees. There is no water to drink. They were just there. They were just that far away. They were one day's walk from the very land that they're describing. And they would not go. And so they're striking out in their uh, murmurings and complainings and describing the very land that God had prepared for them. But they are where they are because of sin, faithlessness, and unbelief. They're blaming Moses for it. It's your fault. It's not a place for us to have a harvest, to do the beautiful things that we thought we were going to be able to do and have all of the water that we could possibly think of having. And the response to that, you're right, it's not. You sinned against Yahweh. Yahweh has judged you. He's not going to let Israel die out like this, but you are under judgment in that this generation will die and will not see a land like that. Moses, I'm sure, grieving for his... The reason I know is because it's not that much time that passes because we're given the dates or the months. There's not that much time that passes from Miriam's death to Aaron's death. So it's between those two times and it's just at most uh, two, three, four weeks maybe since she's passed away. Moses and Aaron moved away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle, and they fell on their faces. They're used to that by now. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared to them. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron. So they're given double duty here. Okay, they're going to blame both of you. I'm going to let both of you be blessed for how water will come to them. You and your brother Aaron and speak to the rock in their presence so that it will give forth its water. This is a profound act of mercy and grace by God. He's going to show the great favor that Moses and Aaron have in his sight 
He's going to show in the greatest and most miraculous way how even in the most evil place, he can provide water from for them in a place that's filled with nothing but rocks. The thing that you think is a curse to you is the very thing that's going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to bring water out of a rock. So, the task that Moses and Aaron have is, is a simple task. I want the both of you in the presence of the congregation of Israel to stand and just speak to the rock. That would have been a most powerful demonstration of how God uses Moses and Aaron and how that by grace he will provide for them. There are no works involved in this. He will provide for them graciously. So here we go. All I want you to do is in their presence, speak to the rock and it will give forth its water. And you shall bring forth water for them from the rock and give the congregation and their livestock to drink. Moses took the staff from before Yahweh as he had commanded him. Now the staff, of course, is the symbol of Moses' authority. And this, this staff, would, it's like his badge that he would wear. He, this identifies him as the authority from Yahweh. But that's why he takes it, and there's no other reason for him to use the staff other than to show the people his is the authority that has been granted by Yahweh. And this would have been the most powerful thing to this point, it seems to me, that Moses would have done. Now, he, the Red Sea was parted. That was a, a, a tremendous thing. He, he called forth to Yahweh who gave manna. But that wasn't a thing that was directly from the voice of Moses. Moses would be the uh, Aaron, Moses and Aaron would be the agent of Yahweh in his grace. Don't need to work for it. Just speak to it. And it will give you everything. It will give you water untold. You can bathe in it. You can drink it. You can give it to your livestock. I will give it to you. And I'll give it to you from the very thing that you thought was a curse to you. The rock in the desert. So, here we go. Took the staff from before Yahweh and as Yahweh had commanded him. Okay, everything's cool to this point. Everything's going right. Moses and Aaron assembled the congregation in front of the rock. And he said to them, now listen, you rebels. Can we draw water for you from this rock? Uh-oh. Now he's moving out of the circle in which God had placed him. You know, there are times when it's not good to preach a sermon. You just need to do something that would be a gracious act, a gracious thing for the help of the people. No, no, Moses, he's emotional. 
Now, this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. But perhaps some of the things running through his mind were, if it weren't for you people, my sister would still be alive. She's part of a cursed generation and you brought it upon yourselves. We're all thirsty, not just one of us. We're all thirsty. We're hungry. And we all wish we had some of that land which you rejected. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be in this kind of... I mean, you can think of the things that Moses is thinking. And then perhaps he was thinking of all the times before when they had complained. Yahweh never failed them. But they continued to complain. You would think somewhere along the way, they would finally have utter and absolute faith. In the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So Moses decides he's going to add a sermon. This is one time that God didn't require a sermon. I know what you're thinking. God doesn't require a sermon most of the time, preacher. Moses simply was to obey what God had said. Speak to the rock and it will come forth. The people wouldn't have needed a lesson on shame. It would have come with the rock, the the water out of the rock. They didn't need a a name calling that they were rebels, they would have recognized it as soon as water for two, three million people and their livestock came gushing and roaring out of a rock. They would have seen themselves how rebellious they were in their hearts. But Moses is emotional. I told you at the beginning of the message We have to learn the lesson of discipline in life as Christians so that we can identify and separate the soul from the spirit. Sometimes preachers can preach, can preach through personal anger, like a bully pulpit or something. And often, That becomes a sin of the soul, of the emotional state of a person. It's a test. And so care should be taken so that we can identify what is soulish and what is spiritual. For the first time, Moses failed the test. He says, okay, you rebels, can we draw water? Now he assumes, with Aaron, he assumes the position of provider himself. Yahweh is the provider. Yahweh would have been seen as the provider absolutely. If only he had spoken to the rock. So he goes on this tirade, calling the people names, 
And then saying, okay, you want us to draw water from the rock? He's beginning to leave where Yahweh had placed him in the instructions. Moses raised his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Now, the disobedience of Moses will not stop God graciously providing for the people. But it will have its consequences. Moses did something. He took it upon himself. He wanted the people, this is the rod that Yahweh gave me. I'm the man. I'm the one. You need us and you keep complaining to us. Let me show you what we can do. And instead of speaking to it, he struck it. He struck the rock twice with his staff. An abundance of water gushed forth and the congregation and their livestock drank. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, since you did not have faith in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the sons of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly to the land which I have given them. So the judgment now that is on that entire generation falls as well upon Moses and Aaron. They will die. And they will die before the people enter into the land of promise. And Moses will not be the one who leads them into the land because he failed to sanctify Yahweh in the eyes of the sons of Israel. It was such a simple task. Just go up and don't speak to anybody but the rock and call forth water from the rock. And it's all you have to do and everything will be all right. What a blessing, what a what a revival those people must would have had. But he didn't do it. He did it out of anger. Out of an emotional response. He had, he had now taken something upon himself that Yahweh did not place upon him. All the way through the story of the leadership of Moses, God was with him. God had told him, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he didn't. And all these wonderful victories that Moses was given by Yahweh. Moses didn't win them himself. Yahweh gave these victories to him, but now he fails. The very one that should have known above all others what it means to have faith in Yahweh and to sanctify Yahweh in the presence of the people. Moses should have known those things. You did not have faith in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the sons of Israel. So you won't bring this assembly to the land. You will die before the people enter into the land. These are the waters of dispute, Me'i Meribah, where the sons of Israel contended with Yahweh and he was sanctified through them. So troubles begin. 
Not the least of which is the refusal of the Edomites to let the Israelites pass through. Now, you know, Edom, the Edomites, they're descendants of Esau. And this is a, this is a family squabble that goes back a long time to Esau, to Je- Esau and Jacob. Well, while Esau and Jacob, toward the end of their lives, patched things up, the sons of Esau didn't feel the same way. So they carry a grudge. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. So says your brother Israel. You know of all the hardship that has befallen us. Our fathers went down to Egypt. We, were sojour- we sojourned in Egypt for a long time. And the Egyptians mistreated us and our forefathers. We cried out to Yahweh and he heard our voice. He sent an angel and took us out of Egypt. And now we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink well water. We will walk along the king's road and we will turn neither to the right nor to the left until we have passed through your territory. Edom replied to him, you shall not pass through me lest I go out towards you with the sword. The sons of Israel said to him, we will keep to the highway. And if we drink your water, either I or my cattle, we will pay its price. It's really nothing. I will pass through on foot. So, but, you know, they're saying this is no big deal. We're not going to harm the land, stay on the road, take care of ourselves, provide for ourselves. And if somehow we slip up, we will pay for whatever we take. But he said, you should not pass through. And Edom came out toward them with a vast force and with a strong hand. Edom refused to allow Israel to cross through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Of course, Yahweh could have delivered the Edomites into the hands of the Israelites. But this is not in the purpose of God. It is a lesson for the Israelites. They have to go another way, which will make their trick yet still a little more difficult. This was the easier passage, but now they're going to have to find uh, another passage. And even the next passage is not going to be very easy. Israel has always been mistreated as a nation in the world, always. And it will happen that way. And there will be no peace in Jerusalem until the king of Israel, finally, the son of David, sits on the throne in Israel. That's the way it is. So they'll always, they'll always have these problems in the world. The United Nations will hate them. Other nations will hate them. And finally, in every case, they are delivered by Yahweh. There's a, there's a proof of the existence of the power of Yahweh just in the existence of Israel, the people. And so he has a covenant and it just keeps going uh, until at last uh, the Lord comes. Well, this is just a case in point that will follow Israel really into this day, all of their, all of their history. Now, finally, here comes the death of Aaron. They traveled from Kadesh and the entire congregation of the sons of Israel arrived at Mount Hor. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom saying, 
Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not come to the land which I have given to the sons of Israel, because you defied my word at the waters of dispute. May Meribah. Aaron, I'm going to kill you. Here's where you're going to die. Your time is over. So, Yahweh said, take Aaron and Eliezer. Now, remember Nadab and Abihu, they died because they offered strange fire. They were the first two sons of Aaron. This is the third son, but he being the one living, the oldest one living, he will take Aaron's place as high priest, Eliezer. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and ascend Mount Hor. Strip Aaron of his garments and dress Eliezer, his son, with him. Then Aaron shall be gathered in to his people, and he'll die there. Moses did as Yahweh commanded him. They ascended Mount Hor in the presence of the entire congregation. So the whole nation of Israel watches as Aaron goes up. And his, then his priestly garment, his high priestly garments are transferred to his son. And he is the high priest no more. And there he dies at the ascent. And really nobody knows. You can study this out. They think they know sometimes. But nobody really knows where Mount Hor is. They've guessed here and they've guessed there. But it's generally an unknown place, at least to this point. Moses then stripped Aaron of his garments and dressed Eliezer, his son, in them. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer descended from the mountain. And the whole congregation saw that Aaron had expired, had died. And the entire house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days. Aaron... He had blundered. He had stumbled. But God had chosen him for this position as the first high priest. So therefore the purpose of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the restorative power of God trumped everything else. And Aaron maintained his position as high priest until he died and Yahweh was always in control so that then when the people saw the troop coming back and Eliezer was dressed in the garments of the high priest they knew that Aaron was dead I believe it says this happened in the fifth month and Miriam's death in the first month so in the space of that time, Moses has lost his sister and his brother. And they were very important to him and his work, especially Aaron. And now he's going to have to take them from where they are to wherever Yahweh tells him to take them until finally Yahweh will tell him it's his time to die. And he's going to have to do it alone. A lesson in how to separate by discipline your soul from your spirit. 
Was it uh, John Wesley who said, the workman dies, but the work goes on? Let's pray together and we through tonight. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word and for how you've carefully cared for your people all the way through the history of mankind. Most of all, we thank you that all of this leads to Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died on the cross according to your design and will and purpose. And so now we are able, we are enabled to worship and praise you forever because of the way you led these people to where they would come and, and from there to the Christ and from there to the throne. And thank you that you've given us a part of it. Lord, bless us as we seek to learn more about you always. In Jesus' name, amen.